Hello and welcome to Untying the Knot. I am Jake and I'm here with my co-host Flavius. How's it going, people? Another <laughs> lovely day. It is hot and humid. And oh, thank God I'm indoors today. <laughs> well, we do live in a former swamp. <laughs> that's very true. And that's actually where our nation's capital is built on, is an actual swamp. <laughs> so if people really like to complain, they got to... That's where the humidity comes from. Yeah, that's, that's, that was a decision of the founding fathers. <laughs> um, so our topic today is uh, perspectives on racism and policing. We kind of switched up our, 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 um, our methods only in the sense that we used to pick our, our topic on Wednesdays and then we realized we were kind of picking topics and then having the news pass us by. And then by the time we were sharing our thoughts about the uh, the bias slants in either side, we uh, uh, most of the public had passed by the issue. Um, so we, we, we picked this topic on Friday instead of instead of Wednesday. Um, but the summary is, uh, you know, the question of whether or not policing and the cr- criminal justice system are institutionally racist has resurfaced following George Floyd's death uh, in the past few weeks. Um, voices on either side of the political aisle have cited statistics, research, and study to support opposing sides of the argument. Some coverage from left-rated outlets reference data showing disparities between police treatment of different races. Conversely, some right-rated voices focused on studies that showed there is no widespread racial bias. So remember, what what Flavius and, and Minnie and I, um, and Minnie's not here this week, he's, uh, we kind of started this podcast at a time when he was planning to take a vacation. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, we're, we're not trying to, to hide his voice or anything, but um, that is kind of where he is this week. Um, so, um, but we're not here to tell the, the, our listeners or anybody who might happen upon this, that, uh, one side or the other is wrong. We're just, we're, we're looking at how both sides are covering it and kind of trying to show you where they're being disingenuous and using propaganda techniques, uh, for tabloid purposes. Um, and this week was, uh, it was full of them. It, it really was. Um, yeah, I was reading back towards the notes, and um, like you said, it e- each article really try to drive its point with its own flaws in it. And um, yeah, so let's just dive right on into that. All right. So the thing is, I feel like we've been we've been I, I, because I usually just would start with the conservative article and then we we go in that order, but I wanted to flip it up this week. And so we're starting with the liberal article this time. And um, our liberal article uh, or our representative liberal article comes from Holly Yan and Sam Romano. And it's titled the U S national security advisor says there's no systemic racism. Studies suggest otherwise. And that comes from CNN.com on June 3rd. Um, And um, I mean, it was just, I think what disappointed me most about uh, this article is that CNN.com is supposed to be center left, but there was really not a lot of difference between our two articles this week in, um, in terms of using tabloid techniques. Um, so the first one I can think uh, right off when I was reading the article was they immediately start with the generalities. Um, 
the national security advisor if you're if you look into it because they literally have links to the video of the interview they literally have links um to articles about other parts of what he said and they took one statement they took one general statement from what he said and then used that to write an entire article out of uh one small statement and the thing about it is that the statement that they used is an opinion the national security advisor says i don't think there's systemic racism um he said he also says in the same quote there is no doubt that there are some racist police and that we need to root them out but they largely ignored that part of his quote in order to focus on the fact that he said that he doesn't think that there's systemic racism and the only you know, pinpoint on one part of his whole statement there yeah i mean and do it they're just obscuring they're using that general statement to just jump on his back kind of, you know um <laughs> the next thing i noticed they had a uh, just plain folks and a generality they uh the article makes a blatant statement that the <laughs> that what the national security advisor struck a nerve with police officers and those mourning the killing um but then they quote exactly one police officer and absolutely no protesters or mourners like they, they mentioned something and then don't follow up it's almost like they had more planned for the article and then their editor was like delete that paragraph as <laughs> yeah, so change in the you process know? well way to go <laughs> and, and i will admit that the police officer they quote is uh is the uh chief of the saint paul police department um which, you know, since the George Floyd uh, um, killing happened in, in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, St. Paul are the Twin Cities. So it is a police chief with a, a relative connection to the whole story that is there. But they, they, they don't fulfill the whole point that they were trying to make. They made the point that it struck a nerve with police officers and people mourning. And then they quoted exactly one police officer. You know, it's 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 tabloidism right there. Yeah, it really um, is, and that's you know, I, yeah. I interview um, a couple more and just don't make it seem so obvious. That's all I can say. But that's how they're going to it, and well, that's how it is. Yeah, well, and I and I think it's a it's a testament to the to the type of news that we have now, and the and the and the tabloidism of our news in that you know, like I said, it seems like they had something planned to write out, and then the editor was like, "Cut that part out." And I think it has everything to do with the fact that when you're when you're uh, when your deadline is just beating everyone else to the punch of the story, you don't uh, take the time to do a full research on uh, or, or, or full interviews. You just kind of summarize and, and, and blast it out there and then move forward uh, with little regard for how the sensationalism will affect the actual issue. Yeah, and that's kind of I'm that kind of leaves it rough to the writers that you know, if they are trying to give a full story, that, that is the hard part is that they are on a very um, short timeline. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, if you know what you're writing, that was your idea, you know, take just a little bit more and, you know, grind it out a little longer to give a much better, more concise um, article. But that's just my yeah. idea about it. I'm no writer. I'm no writer. <laughs> well, the next thing they do is they jump into a, a, a section of stacked cards where they cite a number of studies. Um, uh, and, and I just had a, because 
when they do that, I feel the need to follow up on the on, on what they're reporting because I want to know that their their summary of what is happening is accurate. And I was very disappointed with with how this one was was stacked. Um, first off, they had a few tricks to imply that each bulleted point in the stack was a separate academic study. To the point that when they when it came to the last two, they even mentioned that both of them were from the same study. So I was really uncomfortable with the fact that it's implied that or that that the first two bulleted points link to the exact same study, but the wording is specifically different to maintain that implication that they would have said something if they were from the same study. So, like, it's 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 um, it's this effort to to make the studies look more in depth and the studies themselves the study itself um was one that said uh you know it said african americans are at greater risk of being killed by police even though they are less likely to pose an objective threat to law enforcement according to research by northeastern university professor matt miller the research found that hispanics are also more likely to be victims of police shootings and then the next bulleted point says researchers from northeastern and harvard university analyzed fatal shootings by police in 27 states from 2014 to 2015. Among those who were unarmed and appeared to show no objective threat to police, nearly two-thirds of the victims were Hispanic or Black, the researchers found. Now, those two things are stacked in a way that makes it look like they, they're, they're meant to back each other up. They're literally from the exact same study. When you click on both links that are in each bulleted point, it goes to uh, the exact same uh, webpage. Um, titled one people, 1,000 people in the U.S. die in the U.S. every year in police shootings. Who are they? And that was uh, um, an article from a study at Northeastern. But this author has presented it in such a way where it's like, oh, here's two separate studies that find the same thing instead of actually including them in the same point, which, um, you know, that's, that's, that's sensationalism. That's an effort to uh, affect how people think about all the research that's done. Then we have, um, I also noted that they had transfer in here a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I'll admit, I trust the group that they were trying to transfer it to because uh, they, they cite an NAACP study. And I do, uh, I do, <laughs> I do trust the group that has been on the front lines of civil civil rights since the days of W.E.B. Du Bois uh, to know a lot about civil rights. But the study in question that they cite is related specifically to the department in question with regard to a clear case of police abuse of power because it was conducted in the wake of that specific event. Um, if you guys remember, a couple of years ago, uh, there was that story of uh, Officer, well, now former officer Michael Slager, who shot an unarmed man who was black in the back as the man was running away five times. And that that was caught on video and he's in jail now for, for you know, shooting that guy. But, um, you know, the study that the NAACP did was based specifically on that specific locality. And they kind of are extrapolating the information to refer to all police everywhere without actually explaining how those statistics or that, that information would uh, relate to other localities than specifically North Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, no, I'm so still there. here. Um, no, I was <laughs> kind of just taking it all in because um, nothing you were saying there, um, 
I do remember hearing about that. And that was also something that really, you know, surprised and struck a nerve with a lot of people all over the U.S. and a little bit internationally. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of, you know, don't want to rewrite history, but, you know, history was rewritten a little bit again where, you know, they weren't taking the time to either see a whole picture given one was during the day, one was during the night. If we're trying to separate these two um, different events that have happened, uh, but still they, the officer in that position just didn't really look or kind of take a quick second to step back and be like, all right, um, I might be too forceful. Let me think about what happened before. Um, oh, no. He, he had like the, the recording was from a distance. He had no idea he was being recorded. He just shot the guy. And that's why he's in jail now. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I mean, on that one, like, you know, it's wasn't it that the kid actually had headphones in? He couldn't even hear him. I, I, don't, I don't remember because the thing is, when these things happen, um, I mean, I remember the early days of the Internet when, you know, someone dying on camera was considered a snuff film and you had to actively search for it. And I never did. And, and now you have all these horrific events and it's like from the description, I know what happened in each of these events. I don't want to watch it happen and feel worse um, in the sense that, like, I just watched someone literally die, yeah. you know. Um, but going to it, um, yeah, it's my whole thing is just, you know, don't try to rewrite history. And they, they kind of have redone it. Um, and yeah, like I said, this event was different. He knew he was being recorded. He really just didn't think twice about. I mean, it's kind of the person telling you, yeah. I can't breathe. Just ease up. You have a man down. He's not going anywhere. Like what is. And this was essentially over a very minor thing of. A twenty dollar bill. Well, that's just it. You know, the, the, we we ourselves on due process, but where is the due process when these are small things that should not? No, not escalate. at all. It you know it shouldn't have even been escalated to that. It's just like, let me double check. Like, hey, this is you know is like a this is a fraud dollar. I think it's like all right. Well, I'm, I didn't know that. Can we you know get that checked up or something? Like it it could have been handled a lot better. Um. And as how it's become, it's just very unfortunate, um, you know, as to everyone's really reacting to it because they're just tired of hearing, um, just tired of hearing people being mistreated over, over minor things or just because of how they supposedly look and how people think they would react. Yeah. And, and on, on that subject of, of privilege, I think it's, um, I think it's kind of important, um, to point out that I, I, out of the three of us who, who record this, I am the uh, white male. And, um, you know, there are different events that I've had where, uh, you know, I can't for sure say that it was an element of, um, uh, of necessary uh, uh, privilege, but I have had interactions with the police that could have gone wholly the other way because they were just they were that minor um that have totally gone my way last year i was pulled over uh within a mile of my apartment because my front headlight was out and the thing was i wound up having to sit there longer than normal because (laughs) 
first off, we were in an apartment that we knew we it was a year lease and we didn't like the place. So we knew we were going to move. So we didn't update our address at all. So my address on my license was not the address I was going to that I told the cop was home. Um, and then uh, not only that, but uh, my registration that I had in my car had expired and my wife wasn't answering her phone to be able to, or, or answering the text to be able to send me a picture because the cop said that, that would be okay. And I got let off with a warning, you know, no, <laughs> you know, no clear, uh, I'm claiming that I'm going home, but I'm in a place that is literally not even in the same County as the address on my, on my license. And, um, I didn't even, my wife didn't even call me back until after the cop had said, you know what, it's fine. <laughs> And, you know, it, it's just like, I can't say that that's an example of, of privilege, but that's, uh, I got the benefit of the doubt there. And in, and in the cases that people are talking about, the person didn't get the benefit of the doubt. And I can't outright say that it's an element of institutional racism, but I, I think that um, we do live in a country where, uh, you know, it, it does have a very racist past. And so... I don't think we've made the gains that we want to think we've made in the 50 years since the civil rights act. And I think that it takes more introspection and more work. I have know? to agree with that. Um, I had an instance a few years ago um, to kind of really, I think this story might very well click in there. Um, I was driving back with another friend of mine. We went to Manassas um, It smoked hookah. That was done for. Um, we're heading back home. And was driving on 66. I see a car behind me. I didn't really think much. Uh, my buddy tells me, hey, I think it's a cop. I'm like, I was like, okay, well, they can go on ahead of me. I'm not, I'm doing what I'm supposed to go in the speed limit, um, maybe five above, nothing more. He puts his lights. I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Pull over. He pretty much just lets me know for the most part, hey, you know, I pulled you over. I was like, I have no idea. Like, your mind, he lets me know that I have a tail light out. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll get that fixed. Fine. He's like, and I see that you have um, stuff dangling from your rear view mirror. Given this is midnight, I don't really know a cop that can see that well into it. And I've been pulled over in the day <laughs> more, and not right. one cop has told me anything about something dangling off my rear view mirror. They've never bothered to mention. Right. Um, so given that, um, he just asked me a few questions and I was just like, I'm literally, I'm a student. I was going to school at Mason. Um, and I like all I, in my car is just art supplies, food and clothing. Like that's all I have, nothing else. Um, make the right. story short. He thought I might've been a drug mule because apparently 366 at that time, there had been, um, traffic ring going through that people would, uh, would use cars to, um, you know, smuggle drugs up and down through the state or so. Didn't want to believe me about it. I was like, you know what? I have nothing to hide. Like, fine, go search for it. Like, you're not going to find anything. Like, you're literally going to find what I told. Um, stood to the side. My buddy was mad that I told him to go for it. I was just like, I have nothing to hide. And even, you know, the African-American cop who's standing like with us because he called also canine unit. They sniffed my car. Nothing. Look through the trunk, look through the car. Right. They found absolutely nothing. Even, you know, the officer right. next to us kind of is looking over at them going like, 
they're college students. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what is almost the point of this? Um, story short about it, my buddy, he worked for a, um, a government department. He was living. I got the name of the officer. I ended up getting an apology because basically, yeah, he just racially profiled me in the car and didn't want to believe that I was just a student that happened to have an old car that just happened to fit the description of what they used. And the cop was not, was three months without, um, without work and without pay. Happened to be Dwight. (laughs) One of those is I, you know, luckily with my nature of just being very calm and demeaning, like I just didn't bother with it. I'm like, look, you can try what you want. You're not going to get anything off me. Look almost done. <laughs> I said, regardless of the Colombian jokes that we, yeah, make. yeah. Um, if for those who are listening, yeah, I'm Hispanic, I'm Colombian. Um, so you know, right. I if you ever by any chance ever do meet me though, I can guarantee you everybody else would assume I'm from anywhere else because I've gotten anything in this <laughs> planet. Filipino, Hawaiian, Samoan, Eskimo, Southern Italian, Chinese. It's it's hilarious. I'm like, you know, in Middle Eastern, I was like, you know what? I pretty much I can fit into any country if I go. I'll take advantage of that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Speaking of uh, Latino youth, actually, <laughs> and you're not as youthful as you used to be, but um, speaking of Latino youth, actually, the next uh, thing I noticed in the bullet point in the, in the bullet points of that stack cards list was uh, another case of glittering generalities. And I wouldn't notice this one if it weren't for the fact that, you know, like I, I click on the links to see the contextualized yeah. information. Um, I wouldn't have noticed this one if it weren't for the fact that the information that contextualized what they were quoting uh, was in the first paragraph of the study uh, that, that I went to. So. You know, um, the author mentions in a short point that Latino youth are 65% more likely to be tamed or committed than their white peers. And then if you are actually looking at the um, at the research behind it, the, the next sentence in the actual report of the study says the data represents a modest improvement from 2001 when Latino youth were 73% more likely. to. Yeah, be so it dropped 8%, so- which is a good thing, but <laughs> yeah, they kind of. We reference themselves. That it was an improvement, but not a, like it's, it's not a great improvement, you know? No, not the best at all. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's basically like saying, uh, it, I, I can't even think of a, of a good representative example, except for it's like 73 to 65% still puts you at a, at, a, at a good, like almost seven out of 10 chance. Uh, you know, one is slightly above seven out of chance. One is somewhat below seven out of 10, but it's still, you know, in terms of rounding, we would round up at 65 or 6.5. So it's really, you still have a, 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 almost a seven out of 10 chance. It's just slightly lower, you know? I, so I, 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 I just think that they need to contextualize their information a little bit more because what they're doing is they're presenting it in a certain way to make us feel bad about the information. It's like, but what you're quoting is actually something that we should be encouraging the trend. You know, instead of saying, you know, they, they could have said, you know, it's still at 65% more likely to be detained or committed than their white peers. Although it's an, a modest improvement. Years you know? before I where just, it was 73. So, yes, it's dropped down. 
we can only also hope that it drops more. I mean, they could have easily yeah. simplified it in that manner. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I mean, yay, it's dropped. It drops more. <laughs> I, I, there's improvement to be made. I feel like, but what I, I guess it's like one of those things where like, I want the actual uh, 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 comparison to go down more. I don't appreciate that C, the, the authors from CNN.com made it out so that the, it, it, they didn't even try to uh, uh, provide a full picture. They, they chose their words very carefully to affect how we're thinking about it. Yeah, you're right. They did. You know, um, once we get past the bulleted points, uh, there is um, there is an so it's uh, endorsement is a tabloid technique. You know, it's it's um, the 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 author cite an author whose writing subject implies that he is an expert in the topic, and they're and they're basically using his uh, uh, knowledge and saying um, and, and, and and you know to the rest of us he's just an author. You know, maybe maybe he puts out biased books. We don't know, but at the same time the point the author makes is actually a strong one. And that's the problem with this article is they do have some strong points, but the tabloidism and the sensationalism shine through and make it just less than it could be. Um, you know, cause the point that the, the, um, the point the author makes is that many white people in the sixties thought the system was fair and the 60s were the time when the civil rights movement was happening, when, when Martin Luther King was was uh, not the universal symbol for the civil rights movement that he is today. We like to uh, think back and think of Martin Luther King as the crux of the civil rights movement, but he was one of the many leaders of the civil rights movement that, that, that took uh, prominence at this time. And and he's, his nonviolent um, methods are, are ones that we uh, uh, tend to want protesters to ascribe to without um without context of the fact that you know a lot of people thought that that system was fair and we know through the backdrop of history that it clearly was not so those of us who enjoy the white and the point that the author makes is that those of us who enjoy the benefits of white privilege today might not be aware of it because socially our country has gotten better not picked not great but better you know and 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 so uh, he says that many of us might not be aware because back then it was not just when it was flat out historically obvious. Um, best quote from the author's point is that he says, I think it stands to reason that black and brown folks know their reality better than we do. You know, and I, and I, and I do think it stands to reason that, that life is experience and learning from experience and, um, you know, I can't definitively point to my experience as being uh, privileged, but then you can tell your like your story, and I got away with a lot for what for the questions that any police officer could have had. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think to that statement is very true because for the most part, and I have other um, colleagues that you know when we talk just in general about the cops, they're pretty much like the, as soon as that word comes up they're like they're very their demeanor changes real quick and they act very proper very you know very strict and just are like hey i'm good don't worry about it like i ain't pushing i ain't doing nothing of this or that nature they know their reality because they don't want to feel that pressure they've heard from 
family or others, like the pressure that they were in because, you know, um, some family members grew up through that time or just after that. And they've, some have been able to see that there is changes um, of racism, you know, overall and how it's, you know, kind of dimmed down, but not exactly. Um, another time, it's not often that I get usually, you know, looked at as, you know, um, I don't know, just for being Hispanic and that I might be doing something wrong. Um, but another time I worked for a company and I was with moving guys. They were all Hispanic and they are all pretty much had, you know, um, they had thick accents, like their English is spotty. Um, mm-hmm. The reason I was there was because I was the lead project. So we were dropping stuff off to a um, consignment store. We were just donating it because that's what the client wanted. So fine. Um, they opened the door to the truck. Unfortunately, the door swung. It kind of tapped and dented a car. That wasn't me who opened it. I was with them, but I was trying to make sure that, you know, we were at the right spot and everything. Um, short story of that, one of the gentlemen at the store, white, he kind of saw it and then just kind of um, was mad. He apparently was a um, a war veteran. I'm not sure which war, but it was one of the between the Korean and Vietnam War. Can't really think which one. So kind of had his vision of, you know, it, whatever his vision was, the fact is he was already assuming that we were doing something wrong and we were just trying to take advantage. Gotcha. Not at all the case. Um, he, you know, kind of talks to them a little bit demeaning. I'm just kind of going around the corner, like, excuse me, what's going on? Like, is there a problem? And he kind of comes to me being like, yeah, you guys bumped this on purpose. I'm like, okay, sir, one, I'm not technically with them. I'm assisting them. You can see we have different company logos. And, you know, and then he's just kind of going off. He's like, well, sir, you know, the fact is, like, I could get, kind of get you deported. And I kind of looked at him being like, um, you know, how's about you ask first if I'm even from here? <laughs> I hate to say, but the fact that my English is pretty proper should give you an idea that I've been here long enough that I might be legal and there's really nothing you can do. So I let it go. I was like, sir, you could try whatever you want. Like I would pretty much just say that you're just going to waste your time and also look dumb again. Um, and for the good part is my boss was not there. She at the time, Oh, she's still alive, but um, she's white and she kind of definitely has that white privilege, but she defends. And I basically, she defended me as if I was her son. And I mean, the, the guy, the moving crew that I was with, like they knew that. And they told me in Spanish, pretty much like, you're lucky she ain't. I was like, they're lucky she ain't here because she'd go off on them. <laughs> I'm calm about it and I could care less. I'm like, look, I'm not, It it's going to just wash over my back. I don't care. <laughs> it's, worth it. it's not worth me yelling at you. I'm going to look bad. And then, you know, they are going to come after me. So forget that. Um, Short story of that, her husband is a Navy captain. He chewed them out through the phone. And he chewed out at two old white ladies that were answering the phone that heard the story from that gentleman who works there. So they were already on his side. So I came back the next morning with my boss. All the talking, all those old white ladies stared at me with such a glare. They're trying to burn a hole, two holes right through me. I just looked down kind of like, you know, how's about you ask and just be a little more open-minded to what happens and just talk. 
yeah. assume that all of a sudden, just because something happens that it was done on purpose, there's accidents, things happen. Everyone is human and everyone on this earth, one way or another, we have emigrated one, you know, from here or there. So we're not all just native of one area. Yeah, my uh, at least three quarters of my uh, grandparents came through Ellis Island in the early 1900s. So, yeah, see, I came from a plane right out of South America. Well, my mom did. So, you know, we, we all come from somewhere else. Yep. So um, we finally get through the stack cards and, and the uh, that one endorsement. And then the author's. So, honestly the last one that i that i referred to as a generality it honestly disappointed me that this quote was in this article <laughs> because once again i think the quote was good i think the the point was good i think i have a a, a sour taste in my mouth from all the tabloid techniques i noticed in the article because what the quote is it's a quote from the uh from the president of the country's largest police union the fraternal order of police and um but in retrospect of the excessively tabloid stack cards effort, it seems like this quote deserves a better article around it. It doesn't deserve to be the closer of this article. And, and, and um, uh, I pointed out in, in my notes, like, I don't know, I, I, I write my notes um, and then send them to you guys. I don't, I don't check with you before I write my notes or anything like that. And I don't really, um, I don't even really ask for you guys' notes because uh, I tend to, write more than I should and, and go off on tangents. I'm sure anyone who's actually listened uh, to our podcast notices that. Um, but uh, 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 so, I, you know, I don't know uh, if my co-hosts, co-hosts have the same feeling about what the uh, Fraternal Order of Police president said, but in my opinion, it deserved to have its own better article than this one. Um, because what he says is, he goes, we know what happens in communities when police officers lose the respect and trust of the public they protect, especially after a tragedy like we saw in Minneapolis. We need to do two things. Take a hard look at our own actions and conduct, correct them where necessary, and, and regain that trust by continuing to hold ourselves to the highest possible standard in a transparent way. And I, and I really respect that. You know, he's, he's just he's a union president. So it's not like because um, um, one of the things that a lot of the conservative outlets will point out is that, you know, when we talk about police, we're talking about local government. And most of the places where uh, the worst uh, rioting and looting has happened is places where the local government is largely staffed by Democrats. It's not a it's not really a 100 percent partisan issue. Um, but, you know, uh, uh what he's basically saying is he's, he's telling local governments, we have to, we have to consider policing this way. And uh, I really respect that. Um, no, I think it's a good statement. And uh, I agree with you that unfortunately it was put at the end of an article that really shouldn't be in. <laughs> it should be in its own a much uh, more different article that, you know, pretty much can be not as biased because he's just stating the truth that, we faltered and we really have to look back and look at what it essentially we were, we were put in to do. That is to help the community, help everyone in the community, protect them. And you gotta, and you gotta basically be, you know, um, partial. You, You can't just be biased. You gotta help everyone as it is. 
Yep. So yeah, it, and it's a good statement, and it, yeah, the way the fact that they threw it in there was just kind of like, you serious? <laughs> right. And that's the thing is like, uh, so, you know, when we when we read this article, you know, CNN.com, we come out with a lot of generalities, uh, an effort to use plain folks without actually following up. We come out with a stacked cards effort that is just extremely. Um, I would just say it's haphazardly put together and the ways that it's haphazardly put together show a little bit of, um, conniving intent, you know, they, they, uh, from the two things that are from the same study, but are presented like they're not down to, uh, the one from the study where it's literally supposed to be something of a, an improvement. And they present it as like, this is just bad without pointing out that we're on a good track and need to continue the good track and maybe increase the good track. Um, you know, it's just, and then it goes to endorsement and generalities and, and more generalities. And really when it comes to the pe- the quotes that they have in there, the, the stuff from uh, uh, the, the author, let me look up his, uh, let me remember who the author was. Um, the author was uh, Tim Wise who wrote a book called White Like Me. And so, you know, Tim Wise's point was a was a very, uh, I think, pretty good one, just in a bad article. And then also what the uh, union president said, good quote, good point, bad article. Um, you know, and that's why when it comes to the bias rating, I, I gave this uh, this article a four. Uh, one being least biased, five being the most biased. And I think one of the reasons I give it a four is because it's supposed to be better. It's CNN. Um you know, one of the things I was going to mention to you, uh, Flavius, is uh, I, I, we started uh, to make a, a Instagram presence for our podcast. And um, so I follow both sides of a lot of things. I follow both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I follow both um, News and MSNBC. And what I found interesting is... Um, Fox News is center left, but they are center right. But they really, when it comes to their Instagram presence, I haven't seen too much. I've seen a little bit, but not too much of that tabloid effort. They've been really uh, somewhat centrist, centrist in their at least social media reporting on Instagram. Um, meanwhile, on the other hand, you've got uh, uh, places like the Republican Party. And I don't know if uh, I, I figure that not a lot of people follow both the Republicans and the Democrats. But what I've noticed is the Republicans post multiple times a day and the Democrats haven't posted since May 25th. Oh, wow. I think That's been a while. It's a surprise. But I think there's a reason for that because the Dem- like right now in the current climate and the current situation that we're in, it, it kind of makes sense. You know, the Republicans are playing damage control and the Democrats are just letting them keep doing that. Oh, OK. When you put it that way. Yeah, it's I mean, unless they have to. I mean, the better they might as well just let them kind of keep give them. There's an old uh, saying that's actually the the uh, basis for one of my the titles for one of my favorite Clash albums, but it's a uh, give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves. Yeah, yeah that, that's exactly what they're kind of doing there. I mean, yeah. they they're just basically offering them the rope. <laughs> it's like you know we're cool back here. You, you go for it. Yeah, but then with that being said, I, I guess what what clearly disappoints me is, is that this is clearly a, a biased article. It's, it's clearly written with that tabloid effort in, in hand. And I'm kind of want to hold CNN to a to better standard. Fox news is social media presence. Yeah. You know, 
Um, I want them to be more, and, and to be fair, like, I mean, Fox News is the one that has the opinion journalism wing that includes Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and, and, and Janine Pirro, who are very clearly uh, on one side and parroting what one side says. Um, so it's not like this is out of, uh, it's not like Fox News is any better. It's just, I, I, I want to be able to hold each one to a better accountability. And that's kind of the point of this show is to be holding um, news organizations to a better standard of accountability uh, in terms of what they report and how they report it, you know? Um, so, you know, I gave it a four and I think, I think uh, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a, a tangent because uh, I, I, it, it, the way this article was written reminds me of when I wrote my sophomore term paper in my uh, research methods and political science class when I was in uh, my undergrad in college. Um, and the thing was, I wrote about uh, uh, racial identity and views of the death penalty. And my hypothesis was that black people were more likely than white people to be against capital punishment. And I, I was coming from a space where I grew up in a very conservative area. And so I saw uh, and I really loved uh, punk rock music. And I saw the um, the question authority stance really being it, it transferred into question conservatism because the authority was conservative in the area that I lived. Um, I've since centered out because I've realized that authority can be very leftist as well. Um, but basically, I was against capital punishment, and uh, I didn't know why other people who looked like me weren't. So I was researching that. And uh, what I found was that while there was a statistically true correlation that black people tend to be more likely than white people to be against capital punishment, the correlation was weak because there was a stronger connection. And the stronger connection was that uh, it was economic achievement of the individual. Those who were poorer and therefore more likely to have felt the desperation that leads a person to turn to criminal activity to make ends meet, or to at least have known someone who had, were more likely to oppose capital punishment because they had that experience and knowing how hard life can be when you don't have enough and, 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 and sort of the decisions that you might make in that desperation and they had more sympathy for someone who made the wrong decision in that desperation. Right. Um, and that was regardless of race, white people were the same. If, if, if economic considerations were in place, the people who were more wealthy and had more pr to protect again, regardless of race, were more likely to support the death penalty in, in the sense that it was a punishment that would make it so that their stuff was safe or their lives were safe. Um, and so when I, when I did my presentation to the class, I reported that I was essentially wrong about my hypothesis. Um, and my professor sort of told me in front of all the, all the other people in the class who were still there, uh, that there were other people who had run into the same struggles with correlation as I had. Uh, and so what they'd done was one of two things. They either changed their hypothesis to conform to the data so that they still seemed to be correct about the issue when they presented it, or they carefully crafted how they talked about the information in order to ensure that their reports still fit their hypothesis. So instead of finding the data and reporting on the data, they found the data that backed up what they thought and then reported on that data. And that's kind of what this article reminds me of. Uh, the authors clearly had a hypothesis and then they carefully discussed the information in a way to tell this story that would fit their hypothesis. And that's what I think disappoints me the most about it is I wanna think that, you know, um, that journalists 
who went through college to become journalists who are living the the, the life that they wanted uh, as journalists would be better in their research methods than a college sophomore who skipped class uh, pretty frequently, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's, I think I was a little bit, I think maybe I was a little bit harsh on the article, but I gave it a four um, only because I thought that we read some way more biased things before and uh, I didn't think they deserved a full five, but um, you know, that was my, my thought about it. How about, how about um, I'd probably give it a four too. It's not as biased as others, but uh, like you said before, it definitely tried to drive its point. Um, you know, I also just kind of wish they used the data better um, and not just yeah. kind of, you know, because if anyone really does their research, it's kind of like, all right, you you kind of half-assed this and like you <laughs> essentially almost try to lie about what the data was or that, you know, try to give that feel that it was from uh, two different sources, but it's really just the same one. You didn't give the time. You just kind of found one or two. You stuck with it. You went with it. And you didn't right. fully, you, you kind of modified what you were writing to fit the data because you were like, oh, crap, this is not essentially what I was going with. So <laughs> let's tweak a couple of things. Um, right. So whereas others that we've seen, if they're doing it, they at least had the data more set in hand that they knew this all fit perfectly to kind of go with it even if it wasn't fully right. Uh, so yeah, I, I give it a four, yeah. two, four, three. <laughs> so, oh, so you, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, all right. That was our liberal article. And I think our disappointment led to that being discussed for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> our conservative article. And, and here's the thing about our conservative article, actually on the website that we use on all sides, the conservative article came from Wall Street Journal, and it was an op-ed by someone named Heather McDonald. Um, the problem was that that one was behind a paywall because it was Wall Street Journal. Um, so, and the thing is, uh, you know, we want to be a listener-supported podcast. Part of the reason we want to be a listener-supported podcast is because we want the freedom to talk about these issues freely. Another reason is because we do... Um, sort of think of this as something that could become uh, profitable in the future. And so, um, you know, we weren't uh, spending money to access the news was never our, our intention or our thoughts. So we had to find a similar article on the same site. So we found this one um, in the in, in the extra conservative side. And I think it fit with uh, being a counterpoint to our liberal article. And it was uh, from Andrew McCarthy. It's called and it's titled The Institutional Racism Canard. And it's from the National Review from June 3rd, 2020. Um, and so the, 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 the first technique is actually in that title. And in my notes, I'd actually refer to it as just plain folks opposite. But what I found out was there's actually another uh, uh, ter propaganda term for this known as snob appeal. And so, uh, you know, what he's doing is he's He's trying to seem very smart, uh, and it's honestly using a trick that I've been called out for a lot before, uh, which is using a more complex term than uh. necessary describe a simple concept. The definition of canard is an unfounded rumor or story, but the institutional racism hoax just doesn't have that same feel to it. So, like, he immediately starts out trying to be like, 
it's basically like I know more than what everyone else knows because I can use these big words. And, uh, you know, you, you know, our, our mutual friend, uh, Joe, um, he makes fun of me a lot because, uh, he's actually one of our, one of my old roommates and in our, one of our first times, uh, in the new apartment, I mentioned something involving a lexicon and he went, what the hell is a lexicon? <laughs> I, I described it and, and I said, it's essentially, a, 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 a another term that is synonymous with vocabulary. And he goes, then just use <laughs> vocabulary, dick. And, uh, you know, so like I, I get called out for this a lot. So I felt uh, kind of um, okay calling this article out on that as well. It's, it's, it's something that I get called out for. And this person's doing the exact same thing, trying to make himself seem smarter by just using a term that is smarter than they, than they need. To. I've had uh, that a then, little bit of times, but, you know, it's just, yeah. I'm just in a conversation. They're like, what the hell is that word? I'm like, it's just fancy for this. It's like, okay, but keep going. Yeah. You're not the only one. Yeah. Well, the bulk of the article and, you know, it starts out just like, just like a lot of these articles do. A lot of what they do is use vague terms and generalities. And that's, that's included in this article. I have three different examples of of just using generality. Um, The first one is that the author makes reference to a a common notion from uh, people who don't believe in institutional racism, where they say that more white people than black people are killed by the police. And they point out often that white people are nearly twice as likely as black people to be shot by death by the police. That is a true point by the statistics, by the statistics of how many police shootings or how many uh, police deaths happen or police caused deaths happen. But what it fails to point out is that the white population of the United States is actually 5.7 times the size of the black population. Um, you know, we're, we're, if we're literally five times the size and it's still only twice as much being where that's happening, that's still seems to be a better example of institutional racism than an example of non-institutional yeah, racism. Yeah, that's very true because you know, if you're going through the facts about that, the fact that you're five times but only double, yeah, it, it the math right. basically shows is like they're still going to be lenient, but just by fact that you are bigger, yes, technically more of you might happen to unfortunately pass away. That just happens to be that your population is bigger, not just because of any other factor. For the most part is you're going to be let go, you'll be fine, unless there's those certain people that will push the button and to the point that a cop has to take action. Yeah. And and then, you know, he he references this fact later on in general terms again, but what he does is he uses a different statistics regarding the com- commission of crime by racial demographic also being larger than the proportional share of the black population in the United States. But he doesn't contextualize that and point out the effect that poverty has on crime. And, you know, we, we, we come, we, we often like to imagine that we are in a better place in the sixties and socially we really are socially the, in, in terms of white people are nicer and, and more uh, open to being fairer to minorities than they were in the 60s that's an easy statement to make because of how the 60s played out and what we've seen in the time from the 60s and before but just being better doesn't change a lot you know like when you hold someone down for over 200 years you can't expect perfection in 50 no years. not at all that's just you, know? you 
actually wishing. Yeah, and so like the the fact that 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 um, a larger proportion of the uh, of of the have-nots in our country are not white is ignored in this and the effect of being a have not and and that again that desperation i'm not sure how many people uh in this country have ever um had the i don't know opposite of privilege to experience going to a grocery store and just trying to buy the stuff to make dinner and not having enough in your account to like get everything for a full recipe um i i i I may be white, but I've had that happen. And I've had people, I have had nice clerks at the store kind of just come up and help me and, and take stuff off the order. And then as I'm leaving, um, and maybe it was because I had a, I had a baby in a carrier on my back when I was doing it, but they sort of slipped the stuff back in my bag and, and were like, just walk out, just go. But your you baby know? helped um, you out on that one. <laughs> but, but the point is it's not easy to be a have not. And I think that, um, when it comes to the idea of institutional racism and institutional things, there we are better. We are not perfect, and so th- there's just the 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 fact that this author doesn't take note of economic condition and economic condition on uh, uh, criminal activity um, is, I think, a, a missed opportunity to contextualize the information. And if they're not trying to contextualize the information, what they're trying to do is present a biased point, you know? And so it's just, it's, it's kind of like those two points don't really, they sound good when you trust the author to be like, Oh yeah, this person knows what they're saying because they use words like (laughs) canard, but at the same time, it's not, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's disingenuous. It's it's tricky. I also think it's it's important. They do make one noteworthy. They do make a noteworthy point that I've actually sides. Um, it's not a tabloid technique, but the noteworthy point is that the trend from 2015 to 2019, the trend of fatal police police shootings has been steady at around a thousand per year. Um, I, I one side is using it as an example of a thousand people die per year because of the police. The other side is using it as an example of only a thousand people die per year because of police. So it's, it's kind of a useful point to both sides, but I, I just feel like that was, uh, that I, I, I wanted to highlight that that was in there and I've heard it from not just the left or not just the right, not just the left yeah. both sides. Hmm. Um, <laughs> the next part of my notes, I, <laughs> I told you, I, I told you in, in, in our texts and emails that I was probably going to make a few references to this because it really bugged me. Um, the author has a has an endorsement in here. They they actually cite and endorse the Heather McDonald uh, op ed that would have been our second article um, if it weren't for the paywall on Wall Street Journal. So uh, you know we can't even really make too much comment on that because we didn't get to see the you can't even see the reference data because or, or the referenced information because once you click on it it says yeah subscribe yeah helpful. Data. um and the the next example of a generality the author actually implies the notion that he is fighting is the idea that police are actively hunting down black men which i I feel like isn't like if if i'm looking at if i'm listening to to both sides and what they're saying 
this is a gross oversimplification of the actual message that most of the people on the, the, the opposite side of what this author is on seem to be saying. Um, it makes it seem as if the author is fighting the notion that some element of Jim Crow lynch law is still at play when no one on the other side is saying things are as bad as they were in the, in the, in the prior to the sixties in the South. They're saying that we still have a way to go until we're at an actual point of equity. And I feel like what the author does there is he, he, he carefully chooses words to defend the state of our racial equality, which is the state of being equal in status rights and opportunities. When the protesters on the opposite side are questioning the state of our racial equity or the quality of being fair and impartial. And I think that that is something that gets lost a lot is that we believe that equality is the, the, the end all be all. And it's like, we can have equality and still not have equity. You know? um, and in, in schools, uh, in, in some trainings that I've been to, they use an image of three kids, different heights trying to, trying to watch a, a, a game from behind a fence. And the, the tallest kid is able to do it. The next kid is, has a harder time. And the last kid, of course, can see it. And so equality is providing a box to each of them to stand on. That, that, the, the, the kid who was tall enough to see the game, that doesn't matter. The kid who was barely able to see has a better standing. The kid who was the shortest still can't see the game. See the game. And what they're pointing out is, and the whole point is the equity picture, where the tall kid gives his box to the short kid, and then everyone's able to see the game. You know, equity and equality are different things. And I think that this generality really doesn't, um, really tries to defend equality without even considering the idea of right. equity. You know, uh, I, and I think that gets to the point that things are better. No, and that's, I mean, that's really what, you know, the first article is trying to say is, and I think that's overall what I think the whole public is trying to say is things are not what they were before. So no need to reference really what's more than 60, 50 years ago, because we've been able to, for for a long time, really work hard past that. But it is still that work in progress, like you said to hold a group of people for 200 years back, you can't expect things to change so quickly, so fast, so smoothly. Right. <laughs> it is not. It is that slow grind. And we're, and we're getting there. Like, you know, there's, if it started with big ass speed bumps, then, you know, we're kind of getting those nice little bumps. But now we've kind of have yeah. hit a big speed bump that, was left behind and we're trying to get past that and we can make the effort to flatten the bump we can make the like there's always effort that can be made you know we have a bunch of people in our country who are speaking out and explaining how they feel about things the last thing that should be done is using some ideological argument to just shut them down and tell them no you're wrong because I can see differently I can see I, I see the whole situation better than you like these people are speaking up listen to them and understand what they're saying and try to move forward in a way that is better. Yes. And they're doing it in the manner of, you know, Martin Luther King peacefully. Not all have done that, unfortunately, but those demonstrating now have, and they're, you know, it was a work in progress of how this protest was going to go. 
it wouldn't start smooth. Yeah. But they've been working at it to yeah. be peaceful and just show their voice. A friend of mine, she went yesterday to DC to do it. Um, she said it stayed smooth. There was, you know, no violence. They were just there protesting. I was like, that's good. Um, I had my money on the fact that she probably would do something dumb and she'd end up getting you know, pegged by the cops. Luckily, no. I not make that $5 bet. I would have lost. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, yeah, they're just, they just want to get their voice heard. And to use action against them, it's just unnecessary. It's like we said in our supplement. It's like I said in, in the supplemental where, again, I, you know, I, I often talk and I don't know if I, I, I want to force you guys to back up my words. So um, but one of the things I said in the in the supplemental was it's easy to tell the difference between someone who's throwing something and someone who's protesting, even if the protester has an angry face on, you know, because they're still only yelling. They're still yeah. not hitting. No, it's true. <laughs> you, you can tell, um, you know, you look closely, you can definitely tell it's just being able to be open-minded to read as to how the situation is that's what matters and not everyone is willing on that people already just have a certain view in mind and they're not they're going to just keep letting that um cover yeah so our uh the last thing that i noticed in this article was the end of the article he he really uses generalities to try to transfer people's uh, uh, what people are upset about to the actual people who should be vilified for all this liberals, because, you know, contrary to what large sections of the population are using the First Amendment rights to make clear to us, the real problem that nobody notices is basically the villain of every far right conservative news writer. Um, it's basically in the in the last few paragraphs, it's a blatant attempt to appeal to the confirmation bias bias in the readership. The National Review is a conservative publication, and so it really is appealed to hey, liberals are bad. They're the real villains here, you know, that kind of thing. Um and 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 unfortunately it'll probably work to cement to cement the opinions held by the author in the minds of his readers. But the point is that this author is, is biased and is, is using tabloid information to cement those ideas in the mind of the reader, whether or not they're the actual, how the actual event is playing out or how the, uh, how the issue is playing out. Um, so in terms of our bias rating, uh, I gave this one a uh, 3.99. <laughs> and uh the reason i gave it out of one uh, between one and five a 3.99 is because much like the other article it's pretty much exactly as biased um the only thing that made it different for me was the fact that the national review is considered a far-right publication so acting in a far-right way is well within their uh their 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 normal pattern of behavior but cnn's general reporting is supposed to be center left and so since both articles were pretty much on the same level with regard to their bias, I felt like it was a further slide for the CNN offering to be that biased than it was for the National Review offering to be that biased. Um, so that's why I gave it a 3.99. I, 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 I had the liberal article winning out on uh, bias this week. What about yourself? You still there? 
think something happened to the sound quality in the recording. I'm going to move on to the final thought. Basically, my final thought was whether or not you believe in the claims of institutional racism, nobody on any side is going to take the foolish stance that there is no racism at all in existence today. So rather than try to prove or disprove institutional racism, I'd rather try to make a point with our final thought on social racism. We can admit that the status quo before the 1960s was pretty racist. It's also a fact that the first effective landmark, landmark law of the Civil Rights era was the Civil Rights Act of 1964, since the Civil Rights Act of 1957 was pretty ineffective um, once the Dixiecrats were done with it. Um, and that was, 1964 was 56 years ago. We all know somebody who's older than 56 years old. I mean, you know, the president gets gets that racist label a lot. He's 73 years old. He was 17 when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, was passed. And whatever the president's racial beliefs were at the time, I don't believe that anybody simply changed their racial beliefs because the Civil Rights Act or the Voting Rights Act of 1965 or the Fair Housing Act of 1968 were passed and signed. Those laws were passed and signed, yes, but they were uh, they didn't make people not racist. They made it so that the institutions were trying to work better for racial equality, but they, they, they were a starting point and they didn't change anybody who had a racial belief. They didn't change their mind just because President Johnson put pen to paper and signed a law into effect doesn't change the mind of a racist any more than it changes the, changes the mind of a non-racist. Um, you know, as we've seen time and time again, just because a law is passed doesn't mean people's minds are changed about the subject of the law. They simply declare the appropriate action regarding people's personal beliefs, feelings, and inclinations. So, you know, when it comes to institutional racism, fall wherever you want on the issue. That's not what we're here to debate. We're here to discuss how either side is presenting the subject and the fact that neither side needs to, seems to be trying to give an accurate picture of the topic that thousands are trying to tell us is a serious issue affecting the social fabric of our country. When it comes to social racism, we would have to be fools to consider that a thing of the past. We are most definitely doing better than we were in 1960, but that's a low bar to clear. That's a damn low bar to clear. And that kind of social virus will continue to affect the institutions that are staffed by the members of the society subject to social racism. The issue may not be as bad as the fringe left want us to believe, but even a cursory glance at what is going on around us will tell you that the real picture is not as relatively rosy with regard to race as the far right wants us to believe either. The point being, we need to listen to these protesters. We need to listen if we don't want this to keep happening. Because guess what? This is, you know, 30 years after uh, 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 Rodney King, which was 30 years after the civil rights era. We're still hearing the same stuff. Of course they don't feel listened to. Why would they if they still keep saying the same stuff with different people? So that about unties this knot, the knot of uh, uh, institutional racism and the way both sides are presenting it. We here at uh, Untying the Knot, our listener-supported podcast, if you would like to donate to uh, uh, uh our Patreon is listed below. We also definitely appor uh, 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 we definitely like um, you know likes and, and reviews as well. Uh, we are currently working on ideas and gifts to send to our Patreon supporters. But as always, 
Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on Untie.